I would feel comfortable about being slightly in over your head. And I know Ryan feels this way too, because him and I have talked about this over the years. Um, he could probably even talk about his being the CEO of Uber for a bit. Like, I think this idea that you always should know what you're doing and et cetera, like it's all bogus. All of us are doing things where we feel at times slightly in over our head. And actually the magic is feeling somewhat comfortable around that. That's how you learn. And that's how you ultimately uh, continue to push yourself. And so I think some of the best execs ever um, have this feeling at times of this imposter syndrome where, where they get put into a role and they're like, oh my God, I don't know anything about what I'm supposed to be doing. And that's the, the magic is really being okay with that and uh, you know, swimming with that. I mean, on that point, I guess I'll go backwards for the, for the 25 year old. That is such good advice double clicking on it is probably the right thing to do. Like feeling uncomfortable is the most common feeling in the world and everyone tries to hide it. And I think that as soon as you realize that you're not afraid of it, you actually embrace it. In fact, put it out there. It's no longer a weakness. It's a strength. Welcome to beyond high street. It is the last episode of 2020. Incredibly. We're nearing a hundred episodes after two years of beyond high street. First one, though, we've ever done with two guests. Adam Bain, Ryan Graves, welcome to Beyond High Street. Thanks, Dave. Good to chat, man. Thanks for the invite. Hey, Dave. Also, by the way, it's an honor to be your last set of guests. Yes. Um, I was going through the list of all the people that, and listened to a couple of the interviews that you've done. It's literally a who's who. It's like PJ O'Rourke, Brian Nickel, the Chipotle CEO. Tom Fox, the Earthquakes, uh, MLS Earthquakes president, the Miz, the WWE uh, wrestling star. Um, so hopefully uh, Ryan and I will uh, will bring our uh, A game. Uh, I don't think we're as good a wrestler, uh, soccer player, or uh, Mexican uh, restaurant CEO, but we'll uh, we'll fill in the blanks. No pressure at all. I got to drop some some bombs here. I'm sure you guys can come up with some stuff. And I, and uh, Adam, I hadn't even shared that yet, but yes, this is going to be the last podcast that I do. We're going to transition the hosts and we're going to bring Miami back into the fold and we'll talk about some hosts and how that looks in early 2021, but that'll be exciting for the school. But let's go back because we got both you guys together. Have you guys ever done an interview together? Have you guys ever sat on a panel together? Obviously you've got history, but have you ever done it? I don't think so. Have we, Ryan? I don't think so. Nothing official. We spent a lot of time together. We lived in the in the same town together for a bit. So uh, we pontificated on companies and life together, but not not on a podcast. And, and Adam, we've got about ten years on Ryan, I think, just about. So <laughs> at least, yeah, at least, at least. What? Uh, so when do you guys think you first met? Or, or first knew of each other. And then if you add to that, when you actually knew the other one went to Miami also. 12, 2012, yeah. maybe like a few, yeah. a few years. Yeah, I moved to San Francisco in 2010. Um, and to become a taxi driver as my in-laws understood it to be the case. And, uh, and I think, yeah, I think I was a couple years into that. And then I heard Bain's name and I realized that there was a Miami connection, et cetera. 
Yeah, I also uh, moved up from LA uh, where I was working at Fox Sports um, to uh, switch over into Twitter in 2010. So arrived at the same time. And yeah, uh, heard about Ryan um, making a, a pretty small crew of us um, in technology, but tight knit. Um, there's a lot of uh, communication conversation between all of us. Um, Ryan obviously was um, uh, a, a big um, uh, alumni, uh, obviously in the tech space at, at Uber. Um, Marnie Levine also um, is a Miami alum. She was working at Facebook and then swapped over into Instagram, I think now back at Facebook. Um, so there was a, there's a few of us out here in, uh, in San Francisco. And, and we got to set the stage again because we're, we have a 10 year age difference or maybe more as Ryan calls out in high school. Uh, Adam, what did you use to communicate with your buddies? What, what, te what technology in high school? Um, voice. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. We didn't have phones. We didn't oh, have man. not the app, the actual. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, no, uh, no digital media or anything like that. In fact, I didn't, I can't remember when I actually, I think I didn't get God, a phone. You didn't, say, you didn't say you're like aim away messages. <laughs> I <am> amazing. <laughs> ASL or whatever, you know. I think I had a pager before I had a, a Blackberry or a phone. I, I did too, actually. My phone number, my pager phone number was 290-RYAN. Pretty badass. So pagers were so cool. I mean, 10 years even younger and Ryan still had a pager. Yeah. Um, all right, so San Francisco. So you guys met in 2012. Uh, Ryan, you were, you were in the taxi driver business. Adam was over at Twitter and shortening sound bites for people. Um, just take us back, both you guys. I mean, Adam, there was, it was a pretty small group. How many people were at Twitter when you started? So I joined in 2010 when it was less than a hundred people. I think I was employee 80 something. Um, it was one office location in San Francisco, um, and exactly zero in revenue. Um, and I was basically brought in to help open up all the business sides uh, to the company. Um, so I came in and basically built out the business plan for how the company was going to go generate revenue. At the time it had been growing, um, nicely though, still it was fairly small. It wasn't the kind of world phenomenon that it is today. Um, and, uh, uh, basically was brought in to, to help open up all the business lines. So, uh, we went from zero to a billion in revenue faster than almost any other consumer company did. And then a billion to 2 billion faster than almost anyone. I went from 100 people to about 7,000 employees pretty quickly. Um, one office location to about 50 offices globally. You know, about 75% of Twitter's audiences were outside the U.S., even though it's a U.S. HQ company. Uh, took the company public in 2013 and ran a public company for a bit. And then I uh, had been there for seven years and got a seven-year intellectual itch to go do something new. And I decided to leave on great terms with uh, Jack, our founder, uh, and the board. Um, to do anything outside of social media and advertising. My whole thing was like, I wanted to get away from social media and advertising. And when you left, how many employees? Oh gosh, probably around 7,000 or so. I mean, at that point, it's just, it had sort of grown to be a, a pretty big uh, company, which, you know, I was familiar with. I worked at, at Fox and sport, at Fox Sports um, was a pretty huge uh, company. So I was familiar with and comfortable with 
big companies, although I had a blast in, you know, 2010 Twitter when it was a super small company, all things considered under 100 people. And Ryan, you clearly were an early on uh, at Uber. So when you left, how big? Um, when I, well, I left, I guess the official leave was uh, 10 days after the IPO, I stepped off the board. Uh, and so I guess, you know, that was my official departure in uh, May of 19. And when we left, I don't know, let's see, I think we're probably... 17 or 18,000 people. And that's not including like basically the contracted customer support team, which was another 15 to 20,000 people. Uh, when I, when I left an operating role, so I started, uh, as like general manager of this project that wasn't funded, then stepped into a CEO role for a short time post our our, our seed round for just under a year. And then uh, one of the founders, Travis, who everyone knows, stepped in, uh, came, said, hey, what do you think about me coming in full time? I said, that's fine with me. I realized that meant I wasn't gonna be the CEO as long as it didn't feel like a job. Uh, and it didn't for seven years. And so that was a good run. When I stepped out of the operating role in 2017, I had about 40, I don't know, 4,300, 4,400 people underneath me, which was an interesting experience. I don't know that I need to run back to it. <laughs> yeah, I think both Ryan, Ryan and I did our tour duty on, uh, on operating gigs and we're both now, um, doing something that's keeping us close to operators, but not actually operating, uh, anymore, which means that we can sleep well at night. Yeah. I was going to ask that. I mean, can, if you could, why don't you guys like, compare and contrast that? I mean, obviously Adam, you, you had a few more jobs and a few more years in LA doing things before Twitter, but, just the run for both of you guys in a similar time, 2010, 2017-ish, you know, ballpark that. Huge growth in technology. Um, both left and now are both investing. And, you know, it seems like, Ryan, you're doing maybe a little bit more on the majority side of investment, too, and maybe some venture money. I don't know, Ryan, if, if yours is individual capital or if you've got LPs. But compare to contrast a little bit of where you guys think you are and how you think about business and just the cycle you guys have each done. Well, I, I certainly can't speak for Adam. I think my experience has been one where I had to sit back and reflect on what I was really good at and what I was okay at. Um, I don't think I was terrible at much, but I, you know, it's kind of like average or, or, you know, B plus on a lot of stuff as was, uh, my Miami grade point average can reflect. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was just basically realized that I was never the best operator. Like I was good and certainly good enough, but I was not the best. And actually the best was the people that I recruited and had the opportunity to coach. And, you know, they're still the core team, uh, is the team that's running the business side of Uber today. Andrew McDonald runs all of rides globally. He was running the U S uh, when I left uh, Pierre Dimitri Gorkote out of uh, Paris, he, he was running EMEA when I left, he's running all of Uber Eats today. Like these are phenomenal operators. Rachel Holt 
uh, Alan Penn, like these are people who Alan Penn CEO at Ready Responders. Uh, Rachel has launched her her, um, her own venture fund now outside of Uber, obviously. And like these are some of the best operators in the world, and I got to coach them. And I, that's really what my skill set was: is like talent identification, talent development, and just being a partner. And, um, and I enjoyed it most too. So what I'm trying to do now, I've done a ton of venture early stage deals. I found it to be less fulfilling for me personally, because I don't want to have 30, 40, 50 relationships that I try to maintain. And just, I just need to stay aware of what's going on. That's less fulfilling to me. I want to go deep. I want to have the upside and downside that I share, uh, like shoulder to shoulder with operators. So what I'm trying to do at Saltwater now is I think the most parallel company that I could point to would be like an IAC ish. I don't know that we're building something as broad as a Berkshire. Uh, and I don't know that we're as focused as like a, I don't know, rocket mortgage or something where we have one core business and we build just around that core. Um, and it's, so it's something like multiple pillars and I get to partner with some of the best operators. So we're coming in at what we call partner equity. It's not venture. It's not, private equity and we buy a majority of the company, but leave a lot of it uh, outstanding. So we're not buying 95%, we're buying 55, 60% of the company and partner with the, the founders to take it to the next scale um, and, and run it probably more conservatively than most venture firms would be run, like profit matters. And we're trying to increase or, or maximize the probability of a positive outcome versus maximize the value of the outcome. Um, and so that's kind of how I think about it and taking it slow and it's been fun. Yeah, it's really cool that Ryan's doing that. It's very differentiated, um, from other forms of, uh, investing in venture that's happening in the technology space. I think Ryan definitely is standing out, um, from the crowd in that way. Um, for me, my, um, first part of my career actually was in the media, felt like it, I was in the media business. Actually, I traced it back to Miami. I graduated Miami with, uh, with a journalism degree. Um, and then decided, uh, this is right, uh, back then was also when it's going to sound really dated, uh, the internet was going visual and instead of just text. And so I realized pretty quickly that, um, you know, uh, content and the way that stories were going to be told to people was going to dramatically change. And so I decided that I wanted to kind of latch on uh, to that. I was one of the first journalism majors out then without uh, any kind of, um, uh, or with uh, some technology background. Um, I left then uh, school and um, went into the news business originally. So I started, I went back to Cleveland and helped the Cleveland Plain Dealer start Cleveland.com and the, the digital efforts there. Then left to go to uh, the LA Times where I helped bring the LA Times uh, onto the internet essentially and stayed there for a little bit and then realized that both my passion was in sports and I thought video was going to change the game uh, for everything. And so the problem with newspapers, is they didn't have any video assets. So I ended up at Fox sports um, and then stayed there for like 13 years. Um, Twitter, then the move to Twitter was also a move into content. You know, for me, I basically, I sort of looked at Twitter back then in 2010 and said, this is sort of like cable where a consumer can go in and program all the different channels. And um, then the business model could replicate cable around, um, you know, uh, mini advertisements in between your, your content. So I'd say, you know, the first part of my background and experience was all in the media business, even through Twitter. Um, I left 
to start a, a an investment firm um, with my partner, uh, the old CEO of Twitter, Dick Costolo. And so Dick and I basically uh, raised a fund to go invest in technology companies. And it's been awesome and mind expanding for me because it's, you know, again, not anything related to content, social media or advertising. It's allowed me to learn a bunch of different categories and push myself in a bunch of different ways um, on businesses outside of what I was uh, used to. Um, and in some ways it's like harkens back to the journalism degree I got from Miami, because it turns out when you're investing, you sit with somebody on the other side of the table, who's got a really optimistic view of how the world's going to be. They paint this worldview, this picture of how it's going to happen. And it's easy to get really enthralled by that. And then you're kind of like journalism instincts kick in and you start to really dissect the story, understand what, uh, what, what are some of the holes in the story? What's some of the flaws or, you know, pressure tests, some of the thesis. And so weirdly, I feel like I'm back using some of the lessons that like, you know, Dennis Walsh back from all my journalism classes drilled into me uh, at Miami. It's coming in really handy now um, as an investor. All right, so that's a bit of present day for you guys. Let's, I think it's time we, we head back to a little memory lane um, and high street and everything else. And the three of us, we've got three Miami mergers. I mean, it, it's unbelievable this school that uh, I say it's unique, but I feel like every conversation it's a Miami merger out there. Well, that's why it's a, that's why it's a thing and that's why it has a title and, and so forth. I mean, I came from San Diego and I had every aspiration to go to USC uh, and the and USC did not have any aspiration for Ryan Graves to attend. And so <laughs> I, uh, I ended up luckily at Miami. My mom went there. Uh, her mom went there. And I probably got in with my crappy grade point average because I was some legacy. But I mean, it's a great place to meet uh, someone of the opposite sex. Let's just be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I guess no surfing in Houston woods though. <laughs> <laughs> I up a few things, but I gained a lot. <laughs> All right. Let's do some rapid fire. Favorite food guys at Miami. I mean, I would, I would literally drive 45 minutes to Coleraine for a Chipotle burrito. So <laughs> I don't know if that speaks for Miami, but I, I was, struggling to make ends meet rubbing together nickels. So I would either eat a Miami bagel at uh, bagel and deli, mostly because it was the cheapest thing on the menu um, or skyline chili. I don't know if that's still there um, or uh, Chuck's Chuck wagon, which is probably again, dating myself because I think Chuck's later blew up. Like literally it blew yeah, up. It blew up. The truck yeah. Blew up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what about building favorite building? that uh, you were in, not, not uptown. We'll get to that in a second, but academic or just a building on campus. I mean, I played water polo. And so I spent a lot of time at, in the dive well at the rec. Um, and so that was, I don't know, pretty awesome facility to be honest. Yeah. Goggin for me was an awesome facility. Uh, did you play broom ball? Uh, I, you know what? I never played broom ball. I, I got the shoes, but then never followed through. Have you been back for like a real, oh, actually I have been, I did go back. I gave a, uh, I gave, I did the commencement speech for the arts and sciences school. Um, and I went back around, uh, which was awesome to see, you know, in some ways how much things are the same as much as they've uh, changed. And then uptown was uh, pretty wild to, to go uptown and, and hang out up there. 
Yeah, it's but no, inc- I haven't been back to the new Goggin. It's incredible. Yeah, and the di- and speaking of that for you, Ryan, the diving well next door at the at the new wreck. Or when you were there, oh, you had the new wreck. I had the new wreck. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I was on this. I was so much younger I am than you guys. Remember? That's so funny because I was the student, the lone student on the advisory board as a college senior uh, in that plan. I forgot. Yes, we're dating ourselves with that. Your quality as an advisory board. <laughs> well done, no, Though I will tell you the meetings were at eight o'clock on Friday mornings and coach Bill Davidge, who I think now is with the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets running uh, maybe play by play for him. He, he would know what I would look like on a Friday at eight in the morning. So he'd always have a chair for me in the back corner with a couple of coffees, um, college senior year. So, eight, so speaking of eight o'clock, we'll go ahead. What's that, Ryan? Yeah, he was looking out for you. He knew the reality of your college experience. Like literally for a while, you know, I went back to Miami to give some talk at the business school, like, I don't know, three years ago. And like someone asked from the audience, like, what did you get out of this experience? And I said, honestly, uh, it was a little bit facetious, but it was real. It was an alcohol tolerance. Like my very first professional experience, very first was the Christmas party at this boutique consulting firm partner solve that I joined. And I had never gone to a day of work and they invited me to the Christmas party. And I went there and it was like, game on and it was like they're serving blue label johnny walker and it was the ability to hold my own (laughs) environment led to all future professional successes and i i attribute that to the training uh up up on high street and so that's important what uh if you if you got to do it over again and you got to pick uh the hour of the day for the class that you liked best what hour of the day did you like to go to school oh geez Let's call it 10.30. I had a tough time waking up as well. 10.30 is still early. Uh, and Weird and now, you, now after after Miami, like I'm up at the crack of dawn, you know, like yeah. 5 a.m., but I don't know. Let's talk about kids. I just had a fourth son. It's, it is. It is a thing about kids. That is what will really change your world. What are the ages of your four, Ryan? I have a five and a half, a four and a half, a one and a half, and a one month. Oh my gosh. And Adam, yours are now? 11 and 12 and a half. Oh, a beautiful disaster. Oh. <laughs> I'm on the opposite side, 17, 13, and 10. Wow. Oh man. But four under, four under six is unbelievable. All right, Adam, you mentioned it. Um, I think you said Walsh, um, favorite professor or class? Yeah, I'll give you. So I certainly uh, Dennis Walsh made a massive impression on me. This is a guy who um, taught the journalism uh, classes at school. And, you know, I kind of went through uh, the first part of Miami searching for a major. I literally went, I think, through uh, eight or so different majors and just couldn't find the right thing and couldn't find the thing that really felt like my calling. so I was dabbling in uh, in majors and the experience with Dennis is he just made such a lasting uh, impact on my life. He he showed me like the the beauty in writing, um, which I which I think, you know, spending so much time writing is helpful then when you're running and managing big groups of people, because it turns out one of the ways that you can manage at scale certainly is uh giving people context about decisions you're making and the best, maybe one good way to do that is through uh, the written word. 
So it turns out all that journalism work um, was just a, a, a total massive uh, value add when it came later um, into, into my career. But I'll tell you the other formative experience, educational experience for me um, was uh, at Luxembourg. So I went, I went out to Luxembourg and um, took advantage of the Miami campus there. And it was also life-changing for me. It exposed me to all these countries internationally that I hadn't been before across Europe. It came back later, you know, we started uh, expanding in Europe. I spent uh, much of 2012 and 2013 on the road, opening up these 40 some odd offices outside the US. And most of them were in Europe. And I had already context because I had already been to, you know, England and Spain and um, Germany and uh, Turkey and all these other places because of thanks to um, thanks to, to Lux. So I think the Lux experience also was was pretty amazing. I got a chance to go back there as well for a Luxembourg reunion that they did a couple of years ago uh, for the Dolly Ball uh, European Center, and um, it's really cool. Although it's very different, uh, they're they're you know learning out of a castle, uh, whereas we were in a, a one room shack. Uh, in the middle of, of, of Lux. Um, and the cool thing about the experience is, you know, part of the great thing of, of Luxembourg is exploring the country, but also it's right smack dab in sort of the center of Europe, allowing you a perfect place to go anywhere with inside of Europe on a moment's notice. Cleveland, hmm. Ryan, class or professor? Uh, I probably have two. So I enjoy probably most uh, John Lyons, who has passed. I think he, he passed away in 2011 or 12. He, um, he taught my capstone, which is basically a deep dive into the Great Depression. So I, I studied economics and it was like kind of a history meets economics class. And I just think like even for today, it's such a valuable lesson that like this shit has already happened. Okay. We don't need to be, we don't, there's not a lot that's going down right now that we can't learn from the past from. And I think we forget that that study of history is critical. And he just ingrained that, that like things have happened, study history, study the past and you can learn. And then the less obvious one was uh, botany 244, but it was Jack Keegan's viticulture and analogy, which was basically the wine class. And I literally had so much fun in that class um, I brought my girlfriend at the time, now wife Molly, to a couple of our uh, our trips to uh, to different wineries around the uh, famed Ohio scene, and uh, yeah, it was just a it was a great class. And I actually, by having so much fun, I like studied hard, learned a ton, and I use it till still today to fake people out that I'm like an expert on wine. I think I tried to get into that class three times. It was it was closed. I think everyone tried to get into that class. Yeah. So you, you you both mentioned it. I mean, Ryan, you talked about history and learning and repeating that economics, and and then Adam, you talked about English and the ability to communicate right. If you could go back, or for a kid now, is there a class that any that everyone should be required required to take? I, I'll start by saying. I'm mad I didn't take improv. I think everyone should take improv. The ability just to think and act if it's with your, your wife, your kids, friends, or, or work matters a lot. Um, and I wish I took that at school. What do you guys think? Is there a class you missed? Or you were you're totally right on the improv. And I see that every day. As Ryan knows, my partner, Dick, was um, an improv comedian at Second City. 
So he actually used to perform with uh, and hung out with like Stephen Colbert and um, all these all these comedians. And it and when you're running, he's he was the CEO of Twitter. When you're running a company like that at scale, it turns out like the improv skills unbelievable in terms of managing a company. And he would do like in Silicon Valley, it was sure it still is. You you kind of have these uh, weekly all hands meetings where you would get together and usually the CEO is up there doing some stuff and then, you know, answering questions of the employees. And I realized after like two or three of these that, you know, it doubled both as a learning or communication session for the rest of the company on what everybody was working on. And then also a chance for uh, Dick to go up and like try out 10, mater- 10 minutes of material to <laughs> <new> stuff. <laughs> yeah, but it turns out at the all hands meetings, like that's actually where you get some of your toughest questions, like questions, yeah. for everything else. Um, I mean, along those same lines, I had a minor in public speaking. And so a number of classes that are basically studying great orators and prior to his presidency, there was a specific speech at the DNC. I don't remember what year that Obama gave like the speech, maybe of the decade. And um, and I remember studying that that specific speech and, you know, trying to emulate these speeches. Sometimes you have you know a week to prepare a speech. Sometimes you have 30 seconds. So it's kind of in the same line, but like being able to communicate clearly but not a lot of prep time is such an important skill in life and in business. You'll, I mean, you need this skill when you're having a debate with your spouse whether, or whether you're communicating to 10,000 employees, like it is mission critical. So I, I will, uh, I'll double click on that. Wait, what was your, fa- oh, go ahead. What were you saying? Uh, I was going to say um, one thing that was just starting up. Um, I was kind of one of actually the, one of the pioneer students coming out of it was, um, this inter- interdisciplinary, when digital came along and, and kind of hit the world, the university environment tried to figure out how to react. Miami actually is, was and is on the forefront of cross interdisciplinary study, uh, especially as it relates to digital. They did this through um, a, uh, a platform or a division called uh, Interactive Media Studies. Um, and if I were going back to Miami today, I would zero in on that because it's a really neat set of courses which um, allow you to kind of cross over business, art, technology, and humanities. And actually, there's a there's a professor out there, Glenn Platt, that uh, Ryan and I have spent a bunch of time with. Uh, he's got uh, they've got you know ten or twenty uh, students that uh, live in San Francisco each. Uh, semester, almost like a, imagine um, Luxembourg, but in San Francisco. So they basically live in San Francisco and then they go work and meet with all these uh, technology companies and businesses um, and ultimately learn about um, what's happening in each one of these markets. Um, so we both spent a bunch of time with that, with that team each year. It's always fun to, to meet the students coming out. Of it. I think Ryan actually has hired more Miami alums even than I have. Um, Uber was known as um, a pretty big uh, group of uh, Miami alums that were working. I think I only, I think I pale in comparison. I think we only had a dozen or so. I think, Ryan, I, I think you guys. Yeah, 30 plus or something like that. One, I mean, our second engineer, a good friend of mine, Ryan McKillen, he was a Miami famously accounting major, became second engineer at Uber uh, and did pretty well. 
Um, and so that was, that, he's, he's uh, kind of led the charge and he recruited on the technical side. I recruited on the business and marketing side. Um, but the only other thing I'd add on classes was this class DSC 201, which was decision sciences. And it basically mixed, like it's not just stats, but it's how to use, how to make quantifiable decisions. And I think that is one of the skill sets that I can't emphasize more like everything in life is decisions, but everything double, double down on that in business is just decisions over decisions over decisions. And, you know, you have some good gut decisions, but you just got to measure your decisions to make them good over a long period of time. And I think that was kind of foundational um, course for me. I was happy that I took it. And then I think, I think uh, on the, in terms of extracurriculars, um, Brune ball has given way to uh, esports at Miami. Miami has like a massively competitive esports team. Um, and so uh, it's just the whole esports phenomenon is wild. We've invested in some of it. So I think if I were to go back, um, I would also try and uh, try out, although probably wouldn't, wouldn't even rate uh, based on how talented the kids are uh, that are doing this, um, try out for the esports team. Mm. Uh, f- favorite night of the week on campus? I mean, I think Friday it was like Saturday. Which one are you, Brian? I mean, I, I, I think Tuesday skippers had $1 pitchers. <laughs> I mean, come on. I was like, I lived at the beta house for two years that I was there and it was literally catty corner. And I don't know, you can't really beat a $1 pitcher. I don't care if it is natty light. I sound like, I, I realize now I sound like a complete alcoholic. But it is what it is. Yeah, that's Ryan speaking, just so everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Skippers is a great place. Andy still runs the place. They they took over, uh, they bought SDS. And so now you get SDS no as part of Skippers. Wow. Yeah. yeah. SDS was a regular, regular situation. I mean, it's weird. We had like food delivery services. You One could wonder whether Uber Eats that Ryan uh, created and kicked up, whether that was influenced by the food delivery service SDS in Miami. One will never know. Certainly worth maybe a weekend trip to find out. Uh, Ryan, let's close this. You said, because you you mentioned that I was going to talk about tips and you mentioned DSC 201 and measuring, but also quantifying um, a decision too. So two types of uh, tips to close this off for you guys. One for the the 18 year old, not just class, uh, because we talked about that, but what should they do over the four years? What should they experience? So the 18 year old coming in and then not the 21 year old leaving, but how about a tip? Because people always talk about that. I'm more curious about when you're 25 um, or you've already worked for a little bit. What do you remember of your 20s that is really important in terms of relationships or mentors or um, that felt different than when you were walking out of Oxford. So you guys can take that in any different direction. So call it when you're 18 and when you've been working for a little bit. So this is a advice for the person coming out of Miami first job kind of decision, or you're talking about coming out of high school, going to Miami. Sounds like yeah, going yeah. to Miami and then coming out of Miami. Maybe. Got it. Okay. Let's go there. Um, Bain, you got anything? Yeah, I'll go. Um, So coming into Miami, I would have 
you know, it was always amazing to me. I was talking about the major thing and how much people were like, okay, I'm coming in and I know I'm going to be an accounting major or, or whatever. And so my advice would be, I would, the, the, your career makes so many different arcs and changes that I would be um, less fixed mindset about what you're going to be quote unquote going into Miami. You know, I never thought I would uh, come out of Miami with a, uh, uh, focus around English and journalism. And by the way, you could say that a lot of what I've done doesn't, uh, you know, even flex on that, on that major, though it was a, having a humanities background, um, is, turns out to be an awesome, um, you know, uh, uh, level or in terms of talking or dealing with any job. Um, so one is I would be not fixed mindset. I would be pretty open, um, to what gets you interested and excited and, and be thoughtful about that. And then coming out, I would say I would feel comfortable about being slightly in over your head. And I, I know Ryan feels this way too, because him and I have talked about this over the years. Um, he could probably even talk about his being the CEO of Uber for a bit. Like, I think, this idea that you always should know what you're doing and et cetera, like it's all bogus. All of us are doing things where we feel at times slightly in over our head. And actually the magic is feeling somewhat comfortable around that. Um, you know, I think that's how you learn and that's how you ultimately uh, continue to push yourself. And so I think some of the best, execs ever um, have this feeling at times of this imposter syndrome where, where they get put into a role and they're like, oh my God, I don't know anything about what I'm supposed to be doing. And that's the, the magic is really being okay with that and, uh, you know, swimming with that. Yep. I mean, on that point, I guess I'll go backwards for the, for the 25 year old. That is such good advice that uh, double clicking on it is probably the right thing to do. Like Feeling uncomfortable is the most common feeling in the world and everyone tries to hide it. And I think that as soon as you realize that you're not afraid of it, you actually embrace it. In fact, put it out there. It's no longer a weakness. It's a strength. So I had so much discomfort around like I'm younger than everyone else and I'm supposed to be doing a better job or a bigger job or whatever. And as soon as I put that out there as something I'm aware of, it can no longer be used against me. I already know I'm doing more than you were at your age. I already know that I've never done this before. That's why I'm taking X, Y, Z approach. And all of a sudden it's a strength because it goes back to self-awareness. So like my, one of my number one mental models in life, and I'm a big, big Charlie Munger fan and think about like mental models. The mental model is like the value of awareness and specifically self-awareness is can't, can't be stated strongly enough. Like all human potential comes from self-awareness. And the analogy that I use is it's like a map with the you are here dot. Without the you are here dot, a map is a piece of artwork. It's literally, it might be beautiful, but it's literally worthless. As soon as you put the you are here dot, it's a tool to unlock the whole world. And so if you know who you are, you know where you are and you know what you can do or can't do, you can literally figure out everything else. But if you don't know who you are, don't try to take on something big because you'll probably fail. Focus on understanding who you are first. And I think that is the job coming out of college, going into the real world, like who am I, where do I want this to go? And then take on the fastest paced environment. So you can just 
test yourself in different environments and see what works for you because a lot of stuff won't just focus on eliminating things until you find out what you are. Uh, so that would, sorry if that's a like soapbox there, but that's, that's how I would think about the 25 year old advice. And you know, for me going into college, I thought I could just work the same amount as all my friends and do fine. I realized I would study the same amount of hours as all my friends. And I did way worse. I was not as good of a, I wasn't as sharp or whatever. And I realized about halfway in that my 2.2 GPA wasn't going to cut it. And I learned a work ethic that has served me very well. I realized I have to like grind or whatever the phrase that you want to use now is. That was the, the thing that I took away from college is I am the only one who can take responsibility for my results. And I learned to work. And that was an amazing experience. So those would be like, learn to work hard in college, learn who you are out of college, and you'll be set up pretty well. Gents, we did it. Last, last podcast comes to a close. Boom. I, uh, what are you going to say, Adam? I was just going to ask you, Dave, since you've done a hundred of these, what's been the most interesting thing that you've heard across the, the hundred, like synthesize what, uh, help us speed through the hundred that you've done so far. What's been like one, uh, you know, compelling piece of insight or, uh, stuff that you've learned after doing a hundred of these. And then secondly, uh, who are your two favorite guests, uh, after doing a hundred of these? Uh, well, we won't hold you to that yet, but, uh, how about the first one? Yeah. Um, I think everyone that goes, every student that goes to Miami has a chip on their shoulder. They, they're willing to drive 45 minutes through cornfields or whatever, butterfield farms, or, you know, those things you see on the side of the barns. Uh, you, you've got to have something in you to be willing to be dropped off at an airport and keep going 45 minutes to nothing. Um, and I think, there are a lot of students at Miami that were predestined for success. They already had that in their mind. Miami gave them the opportunity to explore. And then they went out in the, in the world and crushed it. You two have and thousands and tens of thousands have as well. But, but I think there's something that's already about you that makes you willing to go to Oxford, Ohio. There's a lot of people that get off that plane and say, I can't go there. Um, if you want an internship in Miami, you've got to go 45. You need a car or you got to figure out some sort of mode of transportation to get to Cincy or Dayton or somewhere else. Um, I think as far as a guest, there's been so many, I, but my, I think the Miz was my favorite just oh, because, uh, you know, he talked about that he was a, a Theta Chi and, he, and I was a Delta. So we were pretty close and, and just laughing him saying that he was sitting on the couch with his fraternity brothers and uh, real world came on. And he, these guys are like, oh, you'd be great at it. So they went up to Kroger and they bought a video camera and they taped them doing silly stuff around the fraternity. They shipped it off to NBC. Within three months, he had dropped out of Miami. He was doing real world and other type of improv stuff or reality shows. And then Vince saw it. Next thing you know, he's on WWF before WWE, and obviously the rest is history with three or four reality shows or whatever. So, well, I'll give you I'll give you one quick mid story. So, at Twitter, one of the things that you'd always get is uh, DMs uh, asking for verification, the blue check, right. and uh, unfortunately, I was get you mostly would get the brunt end front end of this. Um, and I would uh, I'll never forget that the Miz came in through a DM and was like, "Hey, can you?" Uh, verify me and I didn't do it 
uh, and I'm sorry because I didn't know at the time that he was an alum of Miami. Um, Mike, I'm sorry. Please, I'll make it up to you. You're verified anyway right now. Oh gosh. Three million followers. Is that the most Twitter followed Miami grad? I mean, that would be a ranking. It's gotta be up there. I think. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's a professional athlete or like a, a Nick Lachey type. Um, oh, that's right. Um, I can't, I don't think Roethlisberger is doing Twitter these days. Um, so I'm guessing not Zerbiak's not at 3 million, but Lachey probably would be, or, um, Katie Lee Joel. Billy Joel's right, um, former wife and, and chef go. and entrepreneur. She she might be up there in some way. Um, so, but good shout out to Mike. We'll make sure that in the next run for all of us. But I appreciate you guys doing it. This was great. I mean, it's it's been a fun ride, and uh, the school means a lot to all of us. And you can just hear it when I do the rapid questions, and you guys are thinking through some of those answers. So I appreciate it. Thank you guys. Thanks for joining Behind High Street. Was awesome. Good to chat, man. Yeah, congrats again on 100 episodes. That's really a, a huge achievement. I want to wish everyone a happy, healthy, and safe holiday season ahead. As you heard earlier, some changes at Beyond High Street. And in the coming year, we're going to have a new host. That's right, a new host. So stay tuned for details. With that, I am signing off from Beyond High Street. Love and honor. See you at Skipper's real soon.